Good morning. I'd like to just briefly give an, an overview of what we're looking at for the rest of today and a little bit of tomorrow. Last night, those of you who are here, we, we started out why or what, what the commission that God has given us, and that is to share Him. And then we also learned that we personally must be prepared before we share Him. Today we're going to be looking at it. Uh, this morning, more of the philosophy of why we do what we do. If you like philosophy, you're going to enjoy this. If you don't, I'll try to make it exciting so you enjoy, enjoy philosophy. Um, this afternoon will be very practical. We're going to be looking at nuts and bolts. If you like things that are hands-on, you actually get a chance to practice with each other in different areas. We'll be doing that this afternoon, both in friendship evangelism and giving Christ-centered Bible studies. Our goal in this weekend is actually to follow the cycle that you and I would follow if we were sharing with someone. First, you need to have the commission from God. Then you need to be prepared yourself to go out and share. And then we need to see the philosophy of what we're doing, how to do it. And this afternoon specifically, what are some things that we can do to reach out to our friends or neighbors or relatives and share Jesus with them in a very real way? I get excited about this just because it is the only way I believe that we can see God's work finishing. I, I'm serious. God has given us a commission, an incredible commission. And I want to start out with a question for you this morning. Why do you exist? Why are you here this morning? Well, there's probably multiple different reasons. You got in a car and you came here. But outside of that, what is your purpose in life? These are kind of questions that I think all of us have at some time. You have a very clear purpose. You have a very clear reason for existing. And we're going to take some time today to look at what God has asked or shown us from his word. I think you will find it um, eye-opening at some points, saddening at other points, and exciting at others. So let's jump into our study. God has always had a chosen people. You know that. God has always had people who he's chosen specifically for a specific reason. I like to look at some of the chosen ones as we get started. The first one I like to look at is Abraham. We looked at that passage in our, our reading this morning, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. We're going to just go through a few Bible texts this morning. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. You've already read it, so I'm going to focus specifically on verse 3. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3 says this. God, speaking to Abram, said this. I will bless them that bless thee. I was at a church once when I read that first passage. I will bless them that bless thee. Everyone said, Amen. And then I read the next verse. And curse him that curses thee. And the amen was even bigger. Yes, cursed be those people who curse us. And then when I read the last part, I got no response. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Amen. That's why we exist. That's why Abram existed. So that in his seed... All families of the earth be blessed. You know, I've, I've gotten, at times, I used to wonder, maybe Abraham existed so God should just make him rich. Abraham was very rich. So that's why he existed. Or maybe he existed so that he could have a nice, happy, healthy, holy life, which I believe he did in many ways. But was it for something more? It was. In fact, it wasn't just given to Abraham. You see the same thing repeated to Isaac in, in Genesis chapter 26 in verse 4. Genesis 26 verse 4. Abram said, In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And then God speaking to Isaac says this, 
And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and I will give unto thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So not only does Abram get it, Isaac also gets the same thing, that in thee, all nations of the earth, it says in Isaac, all nations of the earth will be blessed. What did it say to Abraham? All families of the earth. So you see that picture. This is very comprehensive. Now what does that mean? Well, it does talk about Jesus, because he is the promised seed. Isn't that right? And it's through him that everyone is blessed. But is it simply just the fact that Jesus is connected with Abraham and Isaac? Well, let's look at Jacob. Jacob gives us the same exact thing. Genesis chapter 28, verse 14. God repeats this to the three main patriarchs there. And in 28, 14, Jacob is fleeing from his brother Esau. He's laying at night. Uh, the, the song says he has laying there on his pillows of stone. He sees this ladder coming down from heaven. And his voice saying, And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. And thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So at this time, he doesn't say simply in thy seed. He says in thee and in thy seed. In you and in your seed. You, Jacob, are going to be a blessing. You deceiver, you running away from your family, you who have been unfaithful, you will be a blessing. You know, sometimes we may look at our own lives and wonder how you and I could ever be a blessing. Maybe Jacob felt the same way. And God came down to Jacob and said, Jacob, not just your seed, you're going to be a blessing as well. This is the calling that we see laid out here for these chosen ones at the beginning. I like to read from the book, Prophets and Kings, page 15. It was for the purpose of bringing the best gifts of heaven to all the peoples of earth that God called Abraham out from his idolatrous kindred and bade him dwell in the land of Canaan. I will make of thee a great nation, he said, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. I, I want to focus just on the first line briefly. It was for the purpose of bringing what kind of gifts? What kind of gifts was it the purpose of bringing? The best gifts of heaven. So Abraham and his descendants, their, their purpose in life was to bring the best gifts of heaven to people on the earth. That was their existence. Continues on, it was a high honor to which Abraham was called, that of being the father of the people who for centuries were to be the guardians and preservers of the truth of God to the world the people through whom all nations of the earth should be blessed in the advent of the promised Messiah. You will be a bearer of the best gifts that heaven can give. You will be a guardian and preserver of the truth, and through you, the seed, the promised seed will come. Nothing's changed. It has. A lot's changed. But some things haven't changed. You and I are still the bearers of the best gifts that could ever be given. You know, in our society today, sometimes we think the best gift is finances, or the best gift is, is peace, or the best gift is all kinds of different things. But you and I know that that's not true. Money doesn't really make people happy, and peace only lasts so long on this planet. I, uh, I'm a historian by amateurness. 
And I love watching this presidential election, except it's giving me lots of stress. I mean, you got any, any stress from watching the president? I'm not going to discuss it. I just want to say it's been stressful. I think, wow, this is crazy. Um, good thing that this world is not my home and I'm just passing through. Because I'd be literally stressed if this was the place I was hanging out in for a long term. You and I are, have so much more to give. If you are giving Jesus and explaining what it means to have a relationship with Jesus to your friends, you're giving something that is invaluable, something that is gold, something's worth more than anything that people have today. Continues on. The last of the chosen ones, uh, the last one we're going to mention in the Old Testament, follows right on the heels of Jacob, and that is his children called the children of Israel, or the nation of Israel. Exodus 19, verse 6 says is a very interesting passage. Uh, the children of Israel are just about to uh, receive the law from Mount Sinai. Jesus is about to speak to them with his own voice, write down his law on stone with his own finger. What an incredible experience. But before he does that, he tells to Moses what to say to the children of Israel. And these words are found here in Exodus 19. Verse 6 specifically I like to focus on. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. You shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That is what your existence would be. God didn't originally plan for just the Levites to be priests. Did you know that? The Levites were kind of the, I would say plan B, but it might have been plan ZZZ or whatever if you're used to Excel, but it wasn't plan A. The Levites weren't plan A. God's goal was that all of Israel were to be priests, ministers to the rest of the world. So instead of having Levi, the priest to Israel, Israel was to be the priest to the world. But it didn't happen that way. But that was God's goal. That's what God wanted. He wanted his whole nation to be a priest, his whole nation to reach out. God's law must be exalted. This is again from Prophets and Kings. God's law must be exalted as authority maintained and to the house of Israel was given this great and noble work. God separated them from the world that he might commit to them a sacred trust. He made them the depositories, uh, depositories of his law, and he purposed through them to preserve among men the knowledge of himself. Thus, the light of heaven was to shine out of the, to a world enshrouded in darkness, and a voice was to be heard appealing to all peoples to turn from idolatry to serve who? The living God. Now, who were they supposed to share this with? Were they supposed to share it with the Canaanites that they were living among? Yes. Were they supposed to share it with the Egyptians? Yes. Were they supposed to share it with the Persians? Were they supposed to share it with the Akkadians? How about the Hittites? The Grecians? If they weren't even around at that time, but that's okay, we can pretend, right? What about the people living in the far north? Were they supposed to go the whole way to China? Even in that time, it says they were, a voice was to be heard appealing to all peoples to turn from idolatry to serve the living God. 
Some people have shared with me, you know, this idea of giving the gospel to the entire world is a New Testament thing. And I say, no, I hate to disagree, but I will. It is God's thing. It's got to always been God's plan to give his message to the entire world, not just the New Testament time. It's always been his plan. I think he's coming back more to the original plan now because he had a nation. Well, we're going to continue in our study. So God's purpose for his people. All nations of the earth will be blessed. All families of the earth will be blessed. We've seen it in different ways. I like to look at a parable in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 5. We see a parable is given there. Jesus actually takes the same parable and speaks on a little bit more later in his own ministry. But in Isaiah chapter 5, let's look at verse 1 and 2. God gives this message through Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my well-beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard and a very fruitful hill. So here is this always poetic language that's being used. God has a vineyard, a place where vines grow. What are vines? They're plants that grow grapes, right? I'm speaking to Californians who probably know more about vineyards than I do from Pennsylvania my original home. So you have this vineyard that's grown, sped up specifically, set up by who? God. Then it says this, he has a a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. So it's in a place where the soil's great. Perfect pH balance. You're going to have the very best grapes in the world. Verse 2, and he fenced it. He protected it. Kept things out that need to stay out. Keep things in what need to stay in. Gathered out the stones there. Planted it with the choicest vine. Not just was it a fruitful hill, he gave the very best plants he possibly could in it. And he built a tower in the midst of it and also made a wine press therein. They're going to not only grow great fruit, they're going to get the fruit of the fruit. Right? If I could say it that way. Everything is there. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes. That makes sense, right? And it brought forth wild grapes or some versions more accurately would say sour grapes, bad grapes. So here is this purpose that God has for this vineyard. Now, who is the vineyard? What does verse 7 say? What does verse 7 say? I have to close my Bible, so you have to tell me. House of Israel and the men of Judah, right? So two different, uh, the same thing is being discussed here. They are God's special vineyard, and yet they didn't bring forth proper fruit. I like this idea of fruit bearing, and I'm going to jump on it and sit on it and talk about it for about three minutes, okay? Fruit bearing. Why does a vine give grapes? so that the vine could drink a glass of grape juice, right? Why does the banana, I love bananas, I had some this morning, why does a banana tree give bananas? So that it can have a banana split, a banana tree eating a banana split. Can you imagine it? Don't imagine too much. Why do fruit trees, vines, etc. give fruit? Well, part of the reason is to reproduce themselves, isn't that correct? If we look at it from the from the nature or biological perspective, but it's so something else is blessed. The reason for the vine bearing grapes is not so that the vine can have grape juice. The reason for the vine bearing grapes is that other 
places or things or objects or people can be blessed. Why do you and I bear fruit? Do we bear fruit so that we can bless ourselves? Or are we bearing fruit to bless others? We bear fruit to bless others. That's why we exist. If you ever wonder why you exist, think about a mango tree, if you like mangoes, or papaya tree, or vines. Why do they exist? The same reason you exist, to be a blessing. So, I uh, forgot to put this up on the screen. Um, John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, Jesus gives that famous passage on abiding in him and bearing fruit. If we abide in the vine, what will we do? We will bear fruit. It never says that you will wear fruit. It says you will bear fruit. Have you ever met Christians who wear fruit? You know, they put it on. It doesn't come naturally from the inside, but they put it on every single Sabbath that they come to church. They make sure that they tie the fruit on. They make sure that they look okay. Or if they know that they're going to be around some fellow Christians, they tie it on. Some of you heard a little bit of my testimony last night. That's the way I was raised. We were told that you don't do this in public. So when I went out in public, I put on my fruit. I put on my smile. I put on my nice clothing. I did whatever I could to be appropriate. But Christians don't wear fruit. Christians bear fruit. It comes from the inside. Can you imagine an apple tree? If an apple tree could talk. A young apple tree saying, oh, I, I don't have any apples here. Could you go down to the corner store and buy me some apples and tie them on the branches for me? And imagine tying those apples on the branches of that tree. If you walked by and you saw those apples hanging from the tree, what would happen to those apples quite soon? They would start to rot and go bad, wouldn't they? And then it would smell. Am I taking the illustration too far? I might be. But let me tell you, if you wear fruit, you start to stink. It's bearing fruit is where the blessing is. Bearing fruit is where the blessing is. That's what God's wanted. However, it didn't happen that way. God said, here's what could have been. I have a few texts that talk about what could have been. I don't normally suggest that you think about what could have been in your life because we live with what we have, amen? And we praise God for it and move forward. But in Christianity, sometimes it's good to see what could have been. Isaiah 19, 24 through 25, here's what God said. In that day shall Israel be the third with Egypt and with Assyria, even a blessing in the midst of the land. Of course, we read about Israel being a blessing. But God goes further when he says this. Whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people. I hope that causes you a little bit of consternation. Let me read the next one. And Assyria, the work of my hand and Israel, mine inheritance. Three special groups of people. One's called a blessing. Which one's called a blessing? Egypt. Which one's called the work of God's hands? Assyria. And which one's called his inheritance? Doesn't make sense. Because if you've studied your history, and I'm sure all of you here love studying history. My mom hates history. Maybe you are like that. But Israel was here, and Egypt would have been here for a map for you. And Egypt was the enemy to the south. They were cruel. Remember how they took people in bondage, how they killed all the firstborn babies? And then you have Assyria, and Assyria is over here to the northeast. Assyria was crueler. 
when Assyria came to fight against you, you fought to the death because if you were taken a captive, it was worse than dying. What they would do is they'd take all their captives, line them up in a straight row, and they would take look like a big fish hook. Uh, you can look at archaeology. This is interesting. And they'd take the fish hook and hook it under their bottom rib. And they were hooked rib to rib as they marched across the desert to Assyria. And if you died, you just unhooked them and let them go. Cruel people. How in the world can God say here, blessed be Egypt? How can he say that Assyria is the work of his hands? Because that's what God's desire was. God's desire is that when they got stuck in Egypt, that they wouldn't fight, but instead they would be a blessing and Egypt would be converted. God's desire is that when Assyria came after them, Assyria, instead of being fought against, would be converted. That's what God's desire was. By rubbing shoulders with the people of God, the world should be converted. That's what God wants. That's what God's desire is. There are no enemies in the eyes of God, except Satan and those who are controlled by him to hurt his people. But even those enemies, he wishes that they will lose the control of Satan and become under his control. That's what God wants. So can you think of some enemies of your people? Any enemies that we have? I'm going to speak in terms of our country. Yes, sir. Yes? I'm going to pick on one that's going to get me in trouble. Okay? I'm going to say it. If you don't like me, please don't tell me. Terrorism. Would you say that terrorists are enemies of us? They hit pretty close to here not too long ago, depending on who you're listening to in your newscast. But God looks at them and says, I want them. I want that radical element to become my people. You say, Chuck, you're out of your mind. Uh Uh-uh. God has people in the worst oppressors on this planet. In the times of Hitler, there were Germans who were standing faithful and true to the creator God. Did you know that? Who risked their very lives even underneath the leadership of Hitler. God has his people everywhere. And he looks at them and says, I want them to be mine. We have a God who looks so much bigger and broader than we do, my friends. Definitely, I can speak for myself. Zechariah 8.22, Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. It was God's plan not that just uh, Assyria, not just Egypt would become his people, but that many people and strong nations will look at Jerusalem as the center of the religious world. They would all come to Jerusalem for worship service. Can you imagine Passover in Jerusalem and God's plan? I think Jerusalem had to grow a little bit. Quite a bit. Let's continue. For I know their thoughts. This is a very interesting passage. Isaiah 66, verses 18 through 19 and verse 21. Please follow it very carefully because it's, it's easy to miss what's being said here. For I know their works and their thoughts. It shall come that I will gather all nations in tongues. So who is God gathering? Who is God gathering? All nations and tongues. And they shall come and see my glory. So all nations and tongues are coming to see the glory of God, and I will set a sign upon them and will send those that escape of them unto the nations. So all nations and tongues are coming to see God's glory. God takes them, puts a sign on those people who are coming, and sends them that escape out to the nations. So They've came from all the nations. They've seen my glory. 
I put my sign on them, and they're going back out to the nations. Then he tells us where? To Tarshish, Pool, and Lud that draw the bow, and to Tubal and Javan, to the owls afar off that have not heard my fame, neither have seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. I find this exciting because we have Gentiles coming to see the glory of God. God sets a sign on them and sends them back out so Gentile missionaries reaching Gentiles. I, there's a lot of Gentiles in here today, isn't there? I'm a Gentile. Anyone else a Gentile? Yes. So we, we kind of fit under here in Isaiah chapter 66. Then it says this in verse 21. And I will also take of them for priest and for Levite, saith the Lord. He said, I'm going to take these Gentiles and make them priests and Levites for me. You know, there's a group of people in our world today who believe uh, that in the end of time, Israel is going to be very big. And there's actually some people actually trying to find a Levitical priest, people with Levitical blood, so they can restart the priesthood. Maybe some of you have heard of this. Very weird. But there is, you know, find the DNA of what Levites would be like, how they would get that first to know, I don't know. But then they would go and try to find people who have that blood so they could start a, a sacrificial system again in Jerusalem when Jerusalem is rebuilt and the time of the end and whatever. I think they're wasting their time because Jesus says right here that he's going to take Gentiles and make of them priests and Levites. He doesn't need Levitical blood. God's not looking for physical DNA. He's looking for spiritual DNA. That's what he's looking for today. Okay. Prophets and Kings, page 19. The children of Israel were to occupy all the territory which God appointed them. Those nations that rejected the worship and service of the true God were to be dispossessed. But it was God's purpose that by the revelation of his character through Israel, men should be drawn to him. To all the world, the gospel invitation was to be given. Through the teaching of the sacrificial service, Christ was to be uplifted before the nations. And all who would look unto him should live. All who, like Rahab the Canaanite and Ruth the Moabitess, Turn from idolatry to the worship of the true God, or to unite themselves with his chosen people. Notice this final sentence. As the numbers of Israel increased, they were to enlarge their borders until their kingdom should embrace the world. That was the original plan. I want my kingdom, God's kingdom, to fill the whole entire planet. No, not this 150 mile long by 75 mile wide stretch we call Palestine. God's goal was that the whole planet would be his. Amazing. It would take place slowly as they expanded out, but that was God's original plan. And actually, I didn't tell you this at the beginning so that you would listen at least up to this point, but almost everything I'm sharing with you is, is expanded from a chapter. It's actually the introduction to the book Prophets and Kings called The Vineyard of the Lord. So if you want to read that, it's fantastic. It kind of expanded on a little bit. Okay. This didn't happen, and so there had to be a redefining of who the chosen ones were. Uh, Jesus redefined them. I didn't say there had to be, but Jesus chose to redefine. And I like to look at some of the redefining that Jesus did. Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 and 43. Here it is. Jesus is speaking, verse 23 tells us, to the leadership there in Jerusalem. And in verse 43, Jesus makes a startling statement. He tells the vineyard of the Lord. He tells a story about how Israel was his special vineyard. He's quoting actually from Isaiah 5 and building on it. And then he makes this statement in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 43. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. 
taken from you. God said, I'm going to take away this special chosenness for sharing the gospel from you and give it to a nation that brings forth fruits. You notice how I said that. Sometimes we look at the Jews as the special people who are going to be blessed and have lots of money and, and, and have all the Messiah. And that's, there is some blessing that came with that. I can't argue that. But the purpose of Judaism was to share the gospel with the entire world. And they didn't. So God said, I'm going to take it from you and give it to another group who has fruit so they can share the gospel with the entire world. That's what I want. Who is this group? Paul describes a little bit in the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verse 29. Galatians chapter 3, and Galatians 3 covers a lot. Uh, but we are going to simply look at the last, I believe it's the last verse here. And if ye be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. If ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. I believe by God's grace that you and here today have chosen to be Christ. Amen? So that means you're Abraham's seed. You are spiritual Israel, if I can use that term. And that says something else. It says you are heirs according to the promise. That means the inheritance of Abraham is now yours. That doesn't mean oxen and sheep and goats. It means that in you, all nations of the earth will be blessed. That's your inheritance. That's our inheritance. God has called us to be a blessing to the world, starting with Fallbrook. Amen? That's why we exist. We are inheritance. Our inheritance is that blessing. And then, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. I love this passage because it's a repeat of Exodus 19, verse 6. We're, just going, we're coming full circle. In Exodus 19.6, remember the, the message that God told Moses to tell the children of Israel, you're going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter is not speaking to Jews. He's speaking to the strangers that are scattered abroad. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, I forgot. Oh, ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation. Gentiles? A royal priesthood? What is a royal priesthood supposed to do? That ye should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into marvelous light. That is your job. You know, from the very beginning of the Protestant Reformation, it's always been taught that God's people are a priesthood of believers. I think people have forgotten this, quite frankly. We think that the, that the priests are the pastors. Nothing against that pastor Samuel. I'm, I'm seeing you're in complete agreement with me. It makes me feel so much better. The priest is not the pastor. The priest is the people. You are the priesthood. You are. And it's up to you to show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What a beautiful calling. The chosen ones have been redefined. And why? Because God's looking for people who bring forth fruit. Fruit keeps coming back to it, isn't it? God's looking for people who bring forth fruit. And the only reason for bringing forth fruit is so that you can be a blessing. I skipped that just for the sake of time. I'm sorry. 
Revelation also describes prophecies, uh, uh, chosen ones. There's chosen ones in prophecy too. And I'm going to read through these quickly, write down these, if you're taking notes. If you're not taking notes, don't stress it. But if you are taking notes, write these down quickly and you'll be able to see. This is a definition, a description of the chosen ones in prophecy. Revelation 10 verse 11 and 14 verse 6. But I want to look specifically at 10 verse 11. There is a, uh, an angel that gives a, a little book to John, and he eats it, and it's, how does it taste in his mouth? Sweet. And what's it taste like in his stomach? It's better. And, and that's an experience. And after he does, then it's told, go and prophesy again to all the world. We know that it's experience, a group of people who had a bitter disappointment. And God said, don't let the disappointment stop you. Go and prophesy again to the entire world. Prophecy has a group of people who are prophesying to the entire world. Revelation 12, verse 17 God's chosen people, it says, the dragon's angry with them because they do two things. They keep the commandments of God and they have what? Testimony of Jesus Christ. So there's a group of people in the end of time who are prophesying to the entire world. Not only that, they keep God's commandments. And not only that, they have the gift of prophecy in their generation. Wow. And Satan hates them. And the Bible says that they're a special people. Their job is to do what Israel was always supposed to do, and that's to share the gospel to the entire world. Revelation chapter 14, verse 7 through 9. I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on the earth, and every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, what was that next word? Fear God and give glory to him. Why? For the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth. There's a call to worship, a worship of creator God. So the chosen ones are prophesying to the entire world. The chosen ones, let me make sure I get this clear, have God's commandments. The chosen ones have the gift of prophecy. The chosen ones are giving a call to worship the creator God. This is revelation, special people. Why are they doing this? Because they have a message to give before Jesus comes. God's chosen them to give a message. Revelation chapter 18, verse 4 the chosen give a message to the world. I like to read this. It ties in very beautifully with what we looked at a little bit earlier. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. Wow, that's kind of a strong message to be giving at the end of time. But can you think that if you go back to history in Old Testament and New Testament even, did we have prophets give pretty strong messages sometimes? Was the message so that they could make themselves look good? No, in fact, they often got persecuted for it. The only reason for giving the message is because they wanted to help somebody. But I like how it says in her, come out of her, my people. That was the message that should have been given to Assyria. That was the message that should have been given to Egypt. That was the message that should have been given to Ethiopia. That was the message that should have been given to the Chinese in the days of the Old Testament. And now the call is for us to do it. Come out of her. Come out of the world, my people. God is calling you. Come out. Prophecy's chosen ones. We have a call, my friends. You exist for a very, very special reason. And again, this is uh, from Prophets and Kings. You see him going quickly. I do apologize, but I want to close with this final slide. Several key points. Can I go back? Yes. We started out with Abraham. Abraham was kind of the first 
of the chosen, post-flood. Trying to tie my theological knot there. So Abraham, he had some interesting characteristics. It shows how neat of a person he really was. And I'd like to look at some of those characteristics because I believe they're also characteristics of God's end-time people. So this is a description, if you will, characteristics of the chosen. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 4. Abraham was called by God to leave Ur and go out to a land which God would later show for him. And he went out, Hebrew says, not knowing where he was going. All I could say is God bless Mrs. Abraham. Am I right? I've walked into my house once. I better not tell too many stories, but I walked in. I had a friend of mine from Malaysia. He called me up. He said, Chuck, we're starting a school over here in Malaysia, and I would love you to come here and teach. This was my first year of marriage. And I said, oh, man, that's great. After 15 minutes of talking with him, I closed the phone. I was crying. God had called me to Malaysia. And my wife walked in the door. And I said, honey, we're going to Malaysia. And she looked at me and she said, no. There's a whole long story about that. My, my wife has the gift of logic in our home, and I have the gift of emotion. We've kind of swapped the traditional roles, as sometimes people call them. And so I praise God for my wife who did that, or I wouldn't be where I'm at today doing what God has asked me to do at this point in my life. Amen? So um, they followed God's leading. In this case, I would say my wife followed God's leading, even though it, was, it meant staying at that point. Genesis 18, 17 through 19. They lead their homes. Uh, God is about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Then he says this. He goes, Shall I not tell my servant Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that he commands his household after him? You know what we need today? We need men and women who command. Oh, not command with a whip. Command with a heart like servanthood. Like Christ. Command their households after them. We need that today. We need men and women who are going to rise up and lead their children in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's what we need today. Genesis 22, 16 through 18. Abraham, God said, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, and take him to a mountain which I will show you and there sacrifice him to me. And Abraham said, yes. I don't understand it. There's a lot that goes into that, but I want to emphasize this. God's people don't withhold anything from him. The chosen who are called to go out and give the message in the end of time withhold nothing from God. They follow God where he leads, they lead their own homes, and they withhold nothing from God. Romans 4, we have just two more passages here. Romans chapter 4, verses 20 through 22, this is amazing. Paul, please look at it if you don't mind. Paul, speaking of Abraham in the book of Romans, and by the way, Paul's speaking under inspiration because I believe the Bible's inspired, Amen. So he's speaking under inspiration, and here is what he says. He staggered not, speaking of Abraham, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And when I read this, I remember at once I said, Paul, did you forget your history? He said that Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Did he forget Ishmael? Did he forget Hagar? What's happening here? Did he forget lying? And then something made sense. Inspiration remembers what God remembers. 
And when you have given your sins to God, they are not remembered by God. He chooses not to. Wouldn't you like to have your word put in Scripture and it'd say, so-and-so staggered not in unbelief. And you know that you have. I'm guessing that all of us here have, right? But to see next to your name that because you gave it up to God and you gave your heart to God, and so in the end of time, when they read books in your name, it's going to say, and they staggered not. Oh, that's awesome. It's only to the righteousness of Christ, amen? Wiping out our, our, our horrible past and giving us the life of Christ. But uh, he was a faithful man. And Hebrews chapter 11, verses 9 and 10 and 13 through 16. For he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country that is a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Their world is not their home. Fallbrook is not their home. California is not their home, as great as it may be here in Southern California. I'm speaking tongue-in-cheek because I'm a Pennsylvanian. I'm from the opposite side of the country. I like my wet, humid, miserable weather at times. Pennsylvania is not their home. The United States is not their home. This planet is not their home. They're different people. God's chosen ones are heavenly They're from a heavenly country. They've got a heavenly God. It's just different. You know, James chapter 2, verse 23. This is the final passage. James 2, verse 23, says this. Speaking of Abraham. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Are you God's friend? I want to be his friend. Abraham was a friend of God. Someday, I believe that God is going to look at us and say, here are my friends. No more have I called you servants. I've called you friends. What have we looked at this morning? Quite a bit. But the main thing is this. God has chosen you for this time. God's chosen you to bring forth fruit, not to wear them, but to bear them. God's chosen you to be a vessel to share his gospel with the world, starting with Fallbrook. God has chosen you. You are his people, and that's why Adventism exists. I'd like to just have a brief word of prayer as we close out. Our Father in heaven, we are astounded that you would choose us honored. And Father, I ask that you would please draw close to each family here. Help us to see individually your calling for us. Help us, Father, to realize the purpose of why you've brought us to this point in time. Please, we pray for your Holy Spirit to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen.